reading this morning comes from John chapter 5. If you'd like to read along, we are starting at verse 30. John chapter 5, verse 30. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. And you do not have this, his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do you not think that I will accuse you to the Father? There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And we thank God for that word this morning. Just pray together. Lord, as Peter's already said, Lord, this morning, let us get the main point. Let us listen this morning with open hearts and open minds to what John is bringing to us and actually what you are bringing to us through John. Pray, Lord, that we, would, that we would be aware of what the Holy Spirit is speaking to each one of us, and that not only would be aware, but we would listen, we would obey, and we would learn, and take from it this morning and go out and do, because love does. Lord, help us to always remember the big picture, to always remember you to remember your priorities, and to never miss the point. Bless John now as he speaks. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Charlotte. Morning, everyone. Morning. Good to be with you this morning. Uh, as you probably worked it out by now, uh, through Pete and through our reading today, what we're going to be doing over the next four weeks is looking at our core values as a, as a church, as Cornerstone Church. We're going to be rehearsing our core values, right? And I'm going to tell you why that is in a moment. But we're at a strange sort of place as a church 
at, at, at this time, strange sort of a place as, as a country, as, as a world at this time. But hopefully what we're seeing uh, is a movement towards uh, some sort of normality over the next few weeks when it comes to church. And so as we do that, as we move towards some sort of normality again as church, uh, what we want to go into that normality is a renewed sense of who we are, a renewed sense of purpose, a renewed sense of why we're called here as Cornerstone Church to be Cornerstone Church in this place. And so that's the reason why we thought we would do core values now in September rather than in January when we normally do them. It just seemed to fit better now at this time of the year. And so what we're going to be doing is looking at our core values. Right, uh, just keep that on there, James. That's great. Good man. Uh, you, did he pop it up there a minute ago? Uh, right, okay. So it's giving you a bit of a heads up. All right, let's... What I did in the first service is a bit of a quiz. People are... Right, this side are in a distinct disadvantage, but we probably couldn't see the screen through me. Right. What we're going to do is a quiz. You're not allowed to answer if you're an elder. That's Marcus out. You're not allowed to answer if you're an elder's wife or a member's staff. Because if you don't know the core values, we're completely down the swanee. Right. Can anyone shout for me the core values of Cornerstone Church? Jesus-centered is one. Yes, Isabel, you're not allowed to answer anymore. That's you. William, you're not allowed either. Colin, what was it? Disciples making disciples. Anything else? Radical generosity is another one. And then the fourth... Kingdom carriers. Excellent. Very good. Actually better than the first service, I have to say. I sort of had to praise it out of them. Uh, and as we go forward, there, there, there's a spot. There's a wee praise. Ollie Graham is away home a wee bit richer this morning. Dang it. Uh, because he managed to get uh, what those core values are then broken down into uh, once we look at them. But we're going to do that in a minute. Core values are this. The things that we believe to be most important most important for the way that we we live and serve as a church. Core values should determine our priorities. They determine what we do and what we don't do, how we serve and the way we serve. That is our our core values. That's why they are core. And to demonstrate this, I've got a bit of an example from a sporting sort of analogy. Is anyone familiar with the All Blacks rugby team? No. All right. Fair enough, so that's the sort of mood we're in this morning, right? Good. Great job. This is going to be a struggle for the next 20 minutes or so. Right, all blacks, everybody, unless you've lived under a stone, you know who the all blacks are. The all blacks are, if not the, one of the most elite sporting groups in the world. Simple. They are like the SAS of the sports world. Top athletes. No better than them in the world. They have a set of core values that they live and work by. And I want to give you some of those core values that they live and work by just to see how important they are to that team. The first one is this. And I want you to go home, and I'll tell you in a minute why, but I want you to go home, and I tell you to Google stuff all the time. I want you to go home and Google the All Blacks core values, right, to see what they are. One of them is this, the first one, one of the first ones on the wee page is this, sweep the sheds. Sweep the sheds. What does that mean? It simply means this, never be too big to do the small thing. Never be too big to do the small thing. After every single All Blacks game, who cleans the changing rooms after the All Blacks? 
They do. One of the world's most elite sporting teams cleaned the changing rooms after they used them. Sweep the sheds. Never be too big to do the small thing. Second one, sacrifice. Find something you would die for and give your life to it. That's one of their core values. Sacrifice. Find something you would die for and give your life to it. Does that sound familiar? Sounds like something the church should maybe, maybe that should be one of ours. Third one, and this is actually why we're doing the core value series today and over the next three weeks. One of our core values is this, ritualize to actualize. Ritualize to actualize. What on earth does that mean? That means do something on repeat until it becomes who you are. Do something, ritualize it, go over it, rehearse it until it becomes your very nature. And that's why we are doing our core value series again. And Because some of you are sitting there thinking, John, we're not doing core values again. But unless we do core values again, unless we ritualize it to actualize it, it will never be who we are. Are. This needs to be, these four things need to be the very DNA of who we are as a church. And so we need to ritualize it to actualize it. There is one core value that the, black, or the All Blacks have that I can't repeat for, on the Sabbath day and keep it holy. But that's the one I want you to look at. <laughs> it's the way it's phrased. And it's probably one of the most important ones. And what it means is this. I can't say the phrase they use. It's just no such and such. No such and such. But what it means is this. You can be the best rugby player in the world. But if you don't have the character to go along with it, you'll never be an all black. If you're not willing to sweep the sheds, if you're not willing to make the sacrifice, if you're not willing to get on with your teammates, if you're not willing to do all the things that the all blacks do, you will never be an all-black. Like Bronte and I were talking about it at halftime. There have been players who have been super, super rugby players. But because they do not have the character to match the all-blacks ethos, they'll never play for the all-blacks. Go home and look at it. And you'll know rightly, as soon as you see it, that's the one John was talking about because of the title. No. Just look at it. But these are core to who the All Blacks are. And these four values that we have, being Jesus-centered, radically generous, disciples-making disciples, and kingdom carriers are core to who Cornerstone Church want to be. And as I say, want to be. Because there is absolutely no point in us having a fancy graphic, and fancy it is too, or having it on a website, or having it on a piece of paper, or saying it if we don't actually want to be these things and aren't practicing these things. And so what I've said, I said it in the first service, said again, if you want to talk to me about the core values, if you want to have a chat about the core values, if you think we're not doing the core values here, there, or somewhere else, send me a text message and we'll have a chat. Well, I'll, I'll even meet you. I'll buy you a coffee in the yard at my second office. Let's, let's have a chat about our core values. So the first one we're looking at today 
is Jesus-centered. We want to be a Jesus-centered church. And you may think, and again, you may think that this is the, just, John, wise up. This is just, we know this. I would imagine the Pharisees thought that they knew what they were talking about as well. I would imagine if you went to the Pharisees when Jesus is speaking to them here and saying, do you know what you're about, lads? They had been, of course we know what we're about. We know the Scriptures better than anyone else. We, we, we've given our lives to this thing. Of course we know what we're about. And Jesus just like metaphorically slaps him in the face and says, it's about me. And you've spent all your time looking through the Scriptures, and you think that by doing that and in that, you'll find life. And here I am standing in front of you, the, the, the life, the one who sustains life, gives life, controls life. I, I'm life, and you are missing the point. You're just missing it. And so we don't want to be a church that misses the point. And what we have here in John 5 in the text is this lengthy discussion between Jesus and the Pharisees about who he is and the authority that he has. Just previous to this, Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath, and that's what irks the Pharisees. They don't like it. Jesus has, in their opinion, broken the law. But he hasn't. He hasn't. You see, Jesus comes on the scene, the Pharisees don't like him, and they miss him. They miss the Savior that has been sent for them because he doesn't do things the way that they want them done. His whole life is countercultural. The way he is is countercultural. The way that he speaks to people is countercultural. The way that he loves people is countercultural. Everything about him is countercultural to them, and they don't like it. Listen to this quote. I've used it before, but it's fantastic. Jesus, when Jesus went to Jerusalem, the center of the religious world, he did not spend his time in elite hotels, nor did he concentrate his ministry merely in, in the temple or give attention to the rich and famous who could help, help him politically or financially with his ministry. He concentrated on people in need. And that, for the elite of society, was part of his problem. They didn't like what he did. They didn't like who he was. And you see, the Jews in this story, the religious leaders in this story, they're not interested. It's there. They're not interested in loving people. They don't care about people. What they care about is keeping the rules. All they're interested is in keeping the rules. If you keep the rules, you'll be fine. It says here in this passage, they do not have the love of God within them. You see, their, their major problem with Jesus here was that he'd healed on the Sabbath. They thought that he'd broken the Sabbath, he'd broken the law. But let me, let me just give you the law pertaining to the Sabbath from Exodus. It says this, Exodus 31. And the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you will, you will know that I am the Lord and I sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh is a, is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it, 
on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. And so the Pharisees' problem was that they believed Jesus healing this person was work. But it wasn't. Nowhere in the law did it actually stipulate that. Nowhere in God's law did it stipulate that you couldn't heal on the Sabbath. They had made this rule up because that's what the Pharisees had done. The Pharisees had created a list of rules around the law so that you could never get near breaking the law. But it's not God's law. It's man's law. And so what the Pharisees had done, had created a line, there's the law, and they'd created a line way back here so that no one could ever get to the law. But the problem was that this is man's line, not God's line. And so they were ready to kill Jesus. They were ready to have him stoned for this healing. Just as a side note, I've said it before, so I'll say it again. We need to be so careful. We don't do the same. Creating rules around rules, around law that we shouldn't. And miss Jesus for doing that. You see, the main point of this text today is this. And Jesus spells it out in verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. But they bear witness about me. See, you can be in here today. And you can be religious, and you can know the Bible, and you can do the stuff, and you can turn up, and you can miss Jesus. It's clear. That's what the Scriptures teach. You can do that. That's what the Pharisees did. Like, at the minute... It's maybe just easing a wee bit, but at the minute we're still like lots of regulations. Can we wear masks when we're singing or not wear masks when we're singing? Do we wear them in? Do we wear them out? Do you have to hop on one leg when you come into the church? Do you not? There's lots of things, lots of rules and regulations that we have to go through. Sometimes, I think, even in the midst of these rules and regulations that we're constricted by, we think more about the rules and regulations than we do about coming to meet with Jesus. You see, that's why we're here. That's why we're here. We're here to worship Jesus. We're here to read Jesus' word. We're here to pray to Jesus. We're here to serve Jesus. We're here to be with Jesus' people. That's why we're here. Let's not miss Jesus and all the other stuff. And so as a church, as we enter into this new period that we're heading into of normality, whatever that looks like, we want Jesus to be at the center of everything we do. He has to be. He has to be. Not only does he have to be, but we need him to be. We need him to be desperately. And so we want to be Jesus-centered. Right, this is where someone can make a pound or two. We have broken this down. To be Jesus-centered is one of our core values, but we've broken it down into three ways that we want to be Jesus-centered. If anyone in the room, without going on the Google, can give me the three ways, Blakely, off your phone, stop Googling. 
If anybody can give me the three ways in which we want to be Jesus-centered, I'll give them a fiver. That's high stakes indeed. Ollie Graham's way home a fiver richer because Steph told him she set me up. If anybody can give me the three ways, there's a fiver in it. That's awful. Nobody knows. I'm going to give you five seconds. One, two, three, four, five. It's quick seconds. Right. Nobody knows. That's fair enough to say it. Right. This is why we do the core values regularly. Because <laughs> nobody knows them. <laughs> right. Core values. Three ways in which we want to be Jesus-centered. First is in Word. We want to be Jesus-centered in the Word. Right. From day one of Cornerstone, contrary to popular belief, the Word of God has been taken extremely seriously. We want it to be, as theologians have said throughout centuries, our rule of faith and life. But there is a way to handle the Scriptures. There is a way to read the Scriptures that is christ centered. And there's a way to read the Scriptures, there's a way to handle the Scriptures that is right, and there's a way to handle the Scriptures that is wrong. And so we want to be Christ-centered in the way that we read the Bible, in the way that we pray the Bible, in the way that we sing the Bible. That's what we want to be. You see, these men here that Jesus is speaking to, as I said before, have given their entire lives to the Scriptures. They have, for Pharisees, they've maybe left home and put themselves under the, the teaching of a rabbi, and, and, and they've been there all their lives, and they've, and they've heard the Scriptures taught every single day of their lives. They know it inside out, and yet what? They missed the point. They missed the point. The point being Jesus. And we can read the Bible and we can do our daily devotions. And we can sing songs. And we can, we can pray. But we, uh, we can even pray the Word of God. But miss the point being Jesus. There is a Christ-centered way of reading the Scriptures that has massive implications on our discipleship and on our mission. As I say, we want to see Jesus right through from Genesis to Revelation. We genuinely believe that, that every story in the Bible points towards Jesus. And there's a way of reading it that leads us there. Let me give you an example. I don't think I've used this example before. I, th I maybe have. Excuse me if I have. But think of heroes in the Bible, stories of heroes in the Bible. And think of one in particular, King David. Right, so the story of David and Goliath, right? So David is picked from obscurity. He comes to the battlefield to, to be with his brothers, blah, blah, blah. And, then, and he says, do you know what? I'm brave, I am bold, I will go up against that, the giant Goliath. I, I'm your man, brilliant, awesome. You're brave, you're bold. You'll go up against the giant. Super. He goes up against the giant, slays the giant. Unbelievable story. And here's the kicker of the application. You too can be David. 
You can be David. You can be bold and you can be brave and you can slay whatever, whatever Goliath, whatever giant is in your life right now. You, you can do that. You can slay that giant. That sounds class, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Sounds awesome. Only thing is it's wrong. Only thing is it's wrong. Who is King David in the story? Who is David pointing towards foreshadowing in the story? Is it us? No. Who is it? It's Jesus. It's King Jesus. David is pointing foreshadowing King Jesus, who from obscurity rises up and slays the, the, the giant of sin and death on behalf of his people. Who's the hero in the story? Jesus is the hero in the story, not us. Who are we? We're the Israelites hiding behind King Jesus. There is a way to read the Scriptures that is Christ-centered that will have massive implications for your life. Because if you just read the stories and be like, oh, that could be me, then you're going to be terribly disappointed throughout your life. Whereas if you read the stories and say, that's Jesus, then the weight's off. The weight is off. It's Jesus that fights the battles for you, not you. Read the Bible through a Christ-centered lens. Pray the Bible through a Christ-centered lens. Sing the Bible through a Christ-centered lens. We want to be a church that does not miss the point. We want to be a church that loves, serves, points towards Jesus. And we want to do that through the Word. Second way, we want to be a Jesus-centered church in worship. Not only in word, but in worship. And let me just unpack for a moment here when I, when I use the word worship, what that means. Because obviously, sometimes when we use the word worship, we automatically think, and we all do it, we automatically think it's just the songs that we sing. It's not. It's really not. It's so much more. And I use the definition that I found from Austin Stone, uh, which is an 89 church in Texas, but it's probably the best definition of worship that I've ever come up with or ever saw. So, so let me just use, so we're all working off the same definition. This is a definition of what biblical worship is. Biblical worship is the full life response, head, heart, and hands to who God is and what he has done. Let me read that again. Biblical worship is a full life response, not just what happens in here on a Sunday. This is, a, this is a minute part of worship. It's a full life response, head, heart, and hands to who God is and what he has done. And you know the reality. We, we, we rehearse this reality often that we were made for a purpose. What is that purpose? That purpose is to worship. What's man's chief end? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You're made to worship. And so what is this Jesus-centered way of worshiping that we want to create here in Cornerstone? Well, as I say, it's a holistic version. You're made as a human being, and it has to be holistic. Head, heart, and hands. Now, this sermon might seem to you 
a wee bit like a TV show that you watched one time, and you've went back and watched it, and you remember bits of it, but you can't remember it all, right? So at the moment, we're back to, I'm back to Homeland, and I'm back in season one. Any Homeland watchers? Only two. My word, you just need to get on to Homeland. Homeland's on rail. Homeland, we're back to season one, but we know, I know some of the characters, and I know some of what the characters did, but I can't remember it all. This sermon's going to be a wee bit like that. And I'm hoping this next wee bit is a wee bit like the one that you, yeah, you can't remember this bit. Because trust me, this is the exact same sermon. I'm not, I'm not trying to bluff anybody here. Like, this is the same sermon on Jesus-centered culture that we've always done. All right? But here's what we do when we think of head, head, heart, hands. What we do is we separate them and individualize them into people. What we do is separate them and individualize them into people. So we have head people, thinkers. And all they do is think. And all they do is read. And all they do is reason. And, and so they're the ones who sit away and, and read books and, and read theological comedies. And, and they're the one, if you want to know anything about the Bible, they're the people to go to. Right? They're the ones. They're, they're, they're the head. And then you have the hard people, the hard, the people, the feelers. And every time I say that, it doesn't sound right. It's just the feelers, the, the people with the feels. All right? And they're the hard people. And they... They love, to, they love to talk to people and see how people are and see how you're doing and say, you know, they're lovely people. And, right? So that's them. They're the head. There's the head, the thinkers. Then there's the hard people. They're the ones with feelings. And then there is the, the hands people. And they're the workers. If there's a chair that needs lifted from there to there, they're the first one there. Right? So what we do is we separate that out into, into different people. And so there's some head people there, and they're, they're the ones that don't talk to anybody because they don't like people. Uh, and then there's the fields, and they're all over the people. And then there's the, the helpers, and so the, or the workers, and the hands, and so they move stuff, right? Only problem with that is that we're not made like that. We're not made like that. You're not made like that. Everybody in this room has been given a brain. And everybody in this room has the ability to think. And everybody in this room can get their heads around concepts. Everybody. And so don't think that you're not that. Because you, you can be. And don't just think you're just the, you're just the one with the feelings. And, and you couldn't ever be, you couldn't even have theological knowledge because you just love people. You just want to love the people. Love the people. That's what you want to do. And you concentrate on doing that. Don't think like that. And then there's ones who just think they're just the workhorses and they just move stuff. And that's all I could ever do. No. That's not how you're made. It's not how you're made. You're made as a whole human being. And that's how Jesus wants you to worship. That's how Jesus wants you to worship. Now, let me give you a real life example. People get nervous when they do this. Right, real life example. Last Sunday barbecue, right? We needed the whole body to play all their parts. So we needed people to, to talk to people. We needed people to lift rubbish. And we needed people just to do, like, you know, and, and I, we taught the Bible. There was no elements of this head, hand, hearts thing that we didn't need last Sunday. It's all there. And what we needed for everybody to play their part. But here's the thing. I don't need a spiritual gift in being able to lift stuff. Just don't. 
I need eyes and the heart to serve. That's all I need. Or if I want to talk to somebody, I don't need a spiritual gift of talking to someone. I just need to sit down and have a conversation. But we need everybody. Jesus was very clear about this. We need everybody playing their part in the body to make the body work. And you know what? See the person who was walking around last week with a bin bag, lifting rubbish. They were worshipping. When you see the person sitting talking to someone, they were worshipping. So let's not split it all up and do our thing. We need everybody to play their part in a whole life response worship to King Jesus. Head, heart, and hands. Let me ask us a few questions when we think about this. I would love to be able to do this, but just sit down and be like, when's the last time you read your Bible or listened to the Bible or read for you on a, on a CD or whatever? CD, I'm back in the day. But do you know what I mean? When's the last time you did that? When's the last time you thought about the sacrifice of Jesus and, and loved him from your very being? And when's the last time you served the body in a sacrificial manner? Are you worshipping King Jesus? Are you worshipping King Jesus? We want to be Jesus-centered in our worship. Head, heart, and hands. Then, our last sub-point. So, we want to be Jesus-centered, and we want to be Jesus-centered in word, worship, and in witness. Our witness must be about Christ it can't be about anything else. Cornerstone Church witness must be solely about Jesus. It has to be. It can't be anything else. Our witness has to be about Jesus. And I want to give us a couple of pitfalls, and I've given you them before. And the reason I give you these pitfalls are because they are the pitfalls that I fall into. They are the things that I do. They're the, the, the wrong methods of evangelism that I use. So I'm guessing you probably fall into some of these pitfalls yourself. When it comes to our witness, our sharing Jesus with others. Let me give you the first one. The first one is this. The first pitfall we fall into when it comes to evangelism, our witness, which is most dangerous and I am guilty of this all the time, is that we talk about church, not Jesus. We talk about church, not Jesus. How many times have you gotten into a conversation with someone and it's come around somehow to uh, church or religion or whatever, and you spend your time talking about what church you go to and about the stuff that the church does and about goes on and on and on. 
And how often out of those conversations, and I'm talking to myself, how often out of those conversations do I come away and think to myself, well, that was a jolly good gosh, that was a, that was a jolly great gospel conversation. It wasn't. It wasn't a gospel conversation. That was a conversation about the church. They're not the same. If I have not spoken about Jesus, then it is not a gospel conversation. It can't be. You've told the people what church you go to, and you've told them what the church does. And I am continually disappointed in myself for doing so. Continually. And I, I gave a couple of examples in the first sermon, uh, one of which two, two actually have happened in the last week. So, uh, one is that I managed somehow to get someone to buy my car, right? The BM. She's gone. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Jehovah Jireh and all that there, right? She's gone. Some lovely wee man from Warren Point come and bought the car. Unreal, full. But anyway, uh, on him now, not me. Right, so in the conversation, it came around to just, you know, what do you do? He was a teacher, taught in a friend, how, blah, brilliant, oh, great. What do you do? I'm pastor in the church, so on. Where do you do that? In a friend here in the town, how long is that going? Ah, oh, seven years now. Right, very good, very good. Uh, have you many at the church? But yeah, there's a few. We man came and went, and he gave me 15 opportunities to talk about Jesus. And how many did it take? None. None. How many of us fall into that trap on a daily basis? I talked about church. I, honestly, I talked about sh- church sort of ashamedly. And didn't take any opportunity to talk about Jesus. Yesterday, I was on my weekly bike ride. And the guy next to me says to me about someone, he says, they're, they're religious, aren't they? Oh, I didn't know they were religious, very good. And at that moment, what I did was put my head down and kept cycling. And I wasn't even out of breath at this stage. That's normally the excuse, but it wasn't. So, but what I should have done in that opportunity or what I should have done at that time, was turn that and say, well, actually, no, they're not religious. They're followers of Jesus, and here's what that means. But I didn't. But I didn't. I missed it. And what we desperately need in our church, and what I desperately need in my life, is to be talking about Jesus. Because, and that leads me on to the second pitfall, being a good person or a good neighbor is not the same as evangelism. It's just not. Both those guys, the guy who bought the car, he probably doesn't think I'm a good lad now after having it for a week, but anyway, uh, the guy that bought the car, he could have went away from that conversation thinking, John, oh, John's a nice fella, nice lad, though. Didn't talk about Jesus. The guy on the bike yesterday, I think he thinks I'm nice. I don't know. Psycho wasn't most weeks. I'm still not sure. But he could have went away thinking, John's dead on. 
he didn't hear about Jesus. If we are only ever nice people and never get to Jesus, it's not evangelism. Jesus said, no one will come to the Father but through me. If I never talk about Jesus, they'll never hear about him. And it's the same for us all, wherever we are, whatever we're doing in our daily lives, it's the same. So we want to be Christ-centered in our witness. Christ-centered in the Word, when we study the Word, when we pray the Word, when we sing the Word, we want to be Christ-centered, we want to look to Jesus. When we worship, we want to be worshiping with our heads and our hearts and our hands. We want to be worshiping King Jesus. And when it comes to witness, when it comes to sharing the gospel, we want to be Christ-centered because He is the gospel. He is the good news. It's all about Him. It's all wrapped up in a person, and that person is Jesus. Just as we finish, the most Christ-centered thing we do in this gathering is communion. When we take these moments, when we think about King Jesus, when we think about His body broken, when we think about His blood shed, for what? for us so that we can be with him so that we can know the freedom of sins forgiven it's all about him and here's what I want to say I want it to be all about him this morning so when you come to that when we always say listen take time confess your sin to Jesus then come in faith to him what I want to say is this make your confession part really really short and get it done quickly and then focus on him Get that part nailed down. Just do it. He is not there to condemn you. He is not there to condemn you. He loves you. Come, confess your sin to him, and then move on to lift your eyes to King Jesus. Focus on him. Focus on his his bloodshed and his body broken for us. So let me pray first, and then we're going to have communion and worship together. Father, I pray through the Holy Spirit that you would speak to us about your beautiful Son. Father, help us to think in such terms. Help us to think in Trinitarian terms where you, the Father, sent the Son in the power of the Spirit to do what he did. And now you've given us the gift of the Spirit to glorify the Son. And so, Spirit, we pray that you'll help us do that now. We pray that we would confess our sin. We pray that we would turn to you, Jesus, in faith. Help us to love you, Jesus. Help us to worship you. Help us to adore you. We love you, and we pray in your beautiful name.